It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. another episode of Beyond Horror Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh. I have returned once again from another one of my lovely hiatuses from the show. Uh, Last time you guys heard from me, I was very confident about a new show formula format, uh, which we are going to adhere to, (laughs) which is good. But I was also very excited about the prospect of uh, kind of revamping the show and being a little more consistent on my releases. Uh, this is what I talked about on episode 25, uh, Nature Strikes Back, Attack of the Killer Bees. Unfortunately, very, very much, very, very quickly, shortly after uh, the, the release of that episode, um, real life sort of hit me, and un- unfortunately, um, some circumstances <laughs> in my life, I'm very very different now, I have a very, my life has changed quite a bit, and, um, it was, it was very rough, it was a very rough time, and I, you know, I'm not gonna get into too many details, um, but I, I was definitely not in a mindset to be able to, to properly do the show, to bring that, you know, I always think, I always thought that the, my qualities of the show that people liked most was that I'm, I try to be, be informative, and, like, talk about these kind of, macro ideas and people like that but I've been told many many times via you know emails correspondences even just people I know who listen to the show they listen because you know I say goofy things or crazy stuff and you know and they like I know they find it entertaining and it was always a hard thing for me to understand at least for a long time but uh I was definitely not in a mood of entertaining for many months. Um, let's put it that way. And I, you know, if I would have done an episode, it would not have been entertaining or enjoyable. It would have been just a slog to get through, I'm sure. So I am back. Um, no George Romero. Yeah, you know, that's that'll be our inside joke uh, <laughs> for the show. Um, but hey, Stranger Things. I mean, this is great, right? Uh, you know, the, the anti-show guy. I feel weird saying television show because, like, a lot of sh- these shows aren't even on TV anymore. This is streaming. 
you know. But the formula, the format of the show, not a, I'm not a big fan, you guys know, but uh, Stranger Things interests me from the beginning. It's just unfortunately it came out right around the time when, as I just stated, I was not in a very good mindset, and um, that show wouldn't have wouldn't have done it for me then. Now, a little better place in my in my my world. I sat down and watched Stranger Things, and in fact, actually watched it three times. So, I I'm quite the fan. <laughs> I I enjoyed it. It was it was I knew I was going to. I mean, it is a love letter to the '80s, and and listen to the show. You know, I love the '80s and was a child of it, and um, so I yeah I I really appreciated Stranger Things. Um, so I am back. Uh, you know, I don't I I, I do want to say that like. I, I, you know, maybe I go on to podcast act exile occasionally. I'm not going to pod fade. Um, whenever I decide to put this show to rest, you guys listening will know. And I'll do like a, a final episode that will be very definitive because I hate cliffhangers when you're, when you're trying to be definitive. So it will happen someday, but that time is not now. Um, I, I'm not going to make any grand gestures and I'm going to be pumping out two episodes a month or whatever. Right now, my hope is is one episode a month and we'll go from there. Uh, there is a, very, a pretty good chance that I might be uh, finally finishing my education, go, go and finish off my senior year at university there and get my, uh, my double major in, in film studies and sociology. And there was a, definitely a correlation between the, the pinnacle of this show, the peak of this show, and when I was in school and doing the Night at the Movies uh, events, it makes sense. I, you know, those things all sort of intertwined. And so I think as it comes closer, if, if, it, if in fact in September, uh, in the fall, I do end up going back to school, you will see the show ramp up more. But for the time being, I've got, uh, I've got five or six ideas for some episodes over the next few months, you know, over, over the spring and summer. And, um, you know, I'm very excited about it and, you know, we're, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to keep this kind of the more compact formula. I don't want shows over two hours, you know, right around uh, maybe hundred minutes, you know, like a movie running time. You know, if it's a really epic episode, maybe, but if it is that epic, I'm just going to split it up into multiple parts. And I think that that'll be better anyways. And we'll get a little bit of everything. You know, I'm still going to do the opening. I'll, I'll talk about new releases. Uh, we're going to do the not-so-random watches segment still. You know, there's going to be a main theme for every episode that'll be discussed either over, like, one or two different segments. Um, I'll probably do news within the opening now. It's not going to have its own segment anymore just because I don't need too many. Still do a music pick. The show's not going to be that much different. I just... It's going to be a little more streamlined, and I'm going to talk... a less about less movies not that many less but I'm going to talk about less movies and by doing so hopefully be able to put a little more attention on the movies themselves so um let's see here we go my trusty little outline um yeah okay so this episode uh, the uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna do a little segment here on my favorite horror films of 2016. Yeah, I didn't do a 2015 episode. Uh, I was going to. I. It's. You know. I don't. I just don't think that's ever gonna happen. Maybe I'll post it sometime. My list. I'm not. More than likely, I'm not going to do a, a best of 2016 non-horror list. I just didn't see enough titles this year. 
I mean, even my 2016 horror list, there's only 13 titles on there, which is significantly less than I'm known to do. Um, so, you know, I, yeah. Okay. So here, Shudder, I got to tell you this now, you guys know, I don't take, I, I don't take like, uh, uh, money from anybody or advertisers or anything like that. This is just all me. Go and get yourself Shudder. If you know you're a horror fan, obviously you're listening to the show. Shudder is five bucks a month. I started uh, started a couple months ago, and I got to tell you, there's so much great stuff. There are hundreds of horror films on there. They span 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, up to current. Um, a lot of uh, strange stuff. Some of the more obscure Giallo films. You're getting a lot of like um, the the Blu-rays uh, the, and collector's edition things that are coming out with Arrow Films and Scream Factory and other labels like that. Um, almost all of the Arrow Films library is actually the horror aspect of it. Is uh, you're able to watch it on Shutter. It's an amazing service for five bucks, uh, especially. If you, like I have noticed, especially, you know, here in America, this doesn't count for anybody else, but here in America, uh, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, they do not offer as many movies streaming within the subscription plan as they used to. Uh, They are all of all three of those entities are much more worried about uh, hipster documentaries and shows and um, their own content, you know, creating their own exclusive series and whatever and i you know it pisses me off to be honest in fact i've dropped my hulu subscription because i found that all of the movies that are streaming on hulu are also streaming on amazon and i don't need and this is what i've complained about in the past is that you you know everybody thinks this streaming stuff's great but you know you end up paying for four or five different services you pay you know 40 50 bucks a month for all these streaming services and you still can't see like a movie you want to watch you know the other day i wanted to watch uh, armed and dangerous with john candy i don't got nobody has that streaming i gotta pay four bucks or five bucks just to to rent it just to stream the thing on the internet which is insane i mean it's even more expensive than the old video stores and there were a lot more overhead involved with all of that. It's it's a really, you know, I keep saying it, but it's a sham. It's a total, total cash grab sham. All of this streaming, downloading, you know, paying, to, like all that crap. You know, I, it, it, you know, I will, I just, I'm never going to pay $5 to stream like an old movie. If it's like a newer movie, okay, maybe, you know, you're, you know, whatever, you know, you're, you know, you want to watch something you didn't, catch or it's maybe an indie film that's it's streaming and you know playing in theaters but it's online for five six bucks or something like that that's fine uh but to like you know four or five dollars to watch armed and dangerous with fucking eugene levy and john candy from whatever 1980 whatever it is 86 get the hell out of here uh so yeah back to the whole thing go with shutter though it's it's great great service for horror fans uh, and as I was sort of talking about there with the shutter thing, uh, there's a ton of like really great Blu-rays, limited edition releases of a, a lot of stuff coming out, box sets. There's a great Phantasm box set coming out. Um, the the uh, lots of cool stuff, and you know it's tough because I mean you know you just unless you got a lot of disposable income. You have to pick and choose, you know, and I have to, like I, you know, every month I maybe order like one or two things that I really want, 
Uh, but uh, at the same time, I'm I'm grateful that at least I can pick and choose. You know, there were times in my life where I, there was no picking or choosing. There just was getting nothing. So the the you know having to having to well you know pick and choose is all right within my book. So let's see here. Uh, so 2017, we're three months into it almost. Um, two and a half months in, and uh, you know it's uh, as always it's kind of a slow build. Uh, for the for films being released in the year, you know, a lot of times that early, that first quarter, you're getting a lot of the cast-offs from the year before, or you're getting a lot of the, some of the festival darlings from the year before, or, you know, some of the, well, now it's becoming the, the area where, like, the R-rated, bigger-budgeted uh, films are coming out, um... And so we'll see. I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I've been kind of lukewarm on a, on a, the last few years. Um, horror has, you know, the horror films are always, uh, there's always, every year there's 10, 12, 15 really quality titles. So I'm happy about that. But I've been a little more hesitant with, uh, you know, the comedies and the action films and the dramas and whatnot. Um, you know, of course, as always, tons of sequels, remakes, reimagined, spinoffs, universe building. It's hilarious. I'm, I'm talking about this and like, you know, this is discouraging, but you know, I made a list of five horror films and five non-horror films that I'm looking forward to seeing this year. And all of them, but one are either a sequel, remake, reimagined, spinoff, or some sort of universe building, uh, you know, platform thing. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it still works. I mean, there are, uh, exceptions of course to the rule always, but I think as a, in a general feeling, like, I, I just, I feel very lukewarm about a lot of titles, uh, and as always with the horror stuff, you don't know, we don't know, you know, who knows, like, the, the, a lot of the more independent stuff, the really quality stuff, the foreign stuff, you know, we won't hear, really hear about those titles until a little bit later in the year, so usually if I'm talking about looking forward to something in the coming year when it comes to horror, it, it tends to be bigger, the bigger titles that you know are kind of locked in. So uh, five horror titles, all of which, as I said, remakes, reimagines, whatever. Alien Covenant, which we've seen the trailer for, and it looks pretty badass, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to get that. And hopefully it's its own film, but maybe helps the wonkiness of Prometheus a little. I'm really hoping that there is aspects to it that kind of make Prometheus a more watchable experience because I want to watch that movie but then I do and it kind of makes my head hurt a little so we'll see uh the dark tower I mean how could you not <laughs> how could you not be excited about that as a genre person the it remake looks every all the images and what we're hearing and Stephen King himself giving it a very positive uh thoughts maniac cop remake um you know, we'll see about that, you know, once again, you never know, <laughs> and then a Suspiria remake, which is maybe the least likely to come out of the five, I, I haven't seen a tentative, I, I think I've seen October, but, you know, that, those things change, uh, non-horror-wise, Guardians of the Galaxy sequel, the Blade Runner sequel, which, I mean, there's so many amazing people involved with, I'm sure at the very least, it'll be a very unique film-watching experience, but I'm, I'm hoping big on that, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, I know that's going to be great. James Gunn's tremendous, and that first film is just so much fun. Uh, as a curiosity, and maybe a fool me once, fool me twice kind of thing, the Justice League movie, we'll see. I, you know, Zack Snyder, everybody keeps giving him a shot. I mean, his movies make money, but, you know, 
And we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. And it'll be interesting to see Affleck. Uh, a little more Batman Affleck, because I, I personally am a fan. I, I know a lot of people who aren't, but I, I, I enjoyed his performance. I thought he was one of the best parts of um, Batman Superman. Uh, Dunkirk, this is the Chris Nolan uh, World War II film, and the only uh, non-remake, reimagined spinoff on my list. Uh, a lot of hoopla recently because it was uh, announced that the film's going to be PG-13 and people are like well how do you have an epic World War II movie PG-13 and I mean that's been it's been done before and I mean when you think about it like some of the greatest war films ever that were made in the 50 I mean like The Longest Day or you know what I mean Tora 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 I mean there are a lot of really great <laughs> great uh, uh, war films that didn't have tons of blood and gore. So I, I think that that's people complained about that or maybe missing the point a little bit. Um, and then finally, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, Disney hasn't screwed this up yet. Hopefully they don't. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, I'm not 100% convinced that they haven't, that they won't screw it up eventually. But for now, I'm still on board uh, Disney Star Wars. So. All right, uh, so now it's time for the segment within a segment. Although, I guess technically, if I put news into the intro, then there's two segments within the segment. Doesn't have quite the same luster, but <laughs> my top five. Uh, and uh, for this episode, very, uh, I think, very uh, on the nose for, for what I'm going to talk about. But uh, the top five reasons to love stranger things <laughs> so uh yeah here we go um number five. Oh, first off i have to say too the 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 honorable mention the whole conspiracy angle thing the uh the whatever the department of energy was what they were using which i thought was pretty hilarious but um you know it, it i mean I, i'm sure most of you know this already but i mean that all of that stuff I mean, maybe not the ripping into time and space and bringing an alien uh, into our reality is real, but all the other stuff, the drugging, the deprivation tanks, the torture, the children, it was also adults too. Uh-oh, we got a fire in town. Um, you know, the CIA, the military, many, uh, not only here in America, I mean, that stuff went on all over, it goes on all over the world, but I mean, that, that stuff is real. Like, I, I mean, this is, like, documented things. Like, this isn't even um, speculation anymore. I mean, it, you know, MKUltra was real. Like, there there was a lot of programming of humans trying to push our boundaries. So, the, the fact that they added that into the story is great. Uh, honorable mention of that. Number five. Chief Hopper... Joyce Byers, uh, you know, Monona Ryder playing Joyce Byers and David Harbour as Chief Hopper. Uh, her performance is tremendous and she adds, you know, like this just unbelievable emotion to it. And she's so like, you know, just on the, just right on the precipice of losing it. But at the same time, she's tough as nails and like handles it, handles the situation. Chief Hopper, easily like one of the best like heroic, you know, John Wayne stoic. I mean, it's kind of old school. It fits it fits an 80s movie cuz there was always that guy in the movies, but you don't see that portrayed as much in films anymore where they're like 
he's a good man. He's suffered and he's like, he's, you know, he is going to save the day. He says it throughout the entire, I mean, once he's in a couple episodes into the show, he's in, once he's on board, he's, he is unflinching in his desire to solve this and to, and to make everything right. Number four, all the amazing 80s references from the He-Man to the music to the Egg and Waffles and the Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, the riding bicycles around everywhere. Like, it's all there. All the cliches are there. All the references to Poltergeist and, you know, they're watching the thing, on, you know, on TV. I mean, it's tremendous. All of that stuff is just gold. Number three. The kid actors. I've said this before. Kid actors are tough. It's tough to get good, consistent performances out of kid actors. These kids are amazing. Particularly uh, L. Eleven. I I can't even like that. Her performance <laughs> is like just out of this world, and it's. Like I said, it's it's tough to get really good stuff out of kid actors. That's what you'll hear all the time from filmmakers. And they they definitely didn't have that problem with this show. Number two, the score. Everyone knows it. The score is badass. It's it is everything like that like that encompassed how awesome 80s films were. They always had these badass even crap movies had great scores. And um yeah. Finally, number one. This is, to me, it's such a complete story. I know they're doing a, a second season and there's more to be told. And, uh, you know, I'm slightly apprehensive, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and wait and see. But the, the beauty of this, sh- uh, the, the show ultimately, is how it is able to mix so many different genres and, and moods and emotions. You know, it goes from humor to action to horror to drama. You know, you're, you're laughing, you're scared your adrenaline's pumping your crying like it is it is a a full uh, experience and that's something i think a lot of genre uh, a lot of genre titles maybe don't uh, pay as much attention to today is making films like it's you know yeah you can have a really intense horror film but it's nice to add some other color to it, some other emotions to it, some, you know, shades of light in, in the darkness, you know, and it, it makes it a more powerful experience. And, and Stranger Things was number one for me is that it, it is such a just all this emotion and just so much stuff. And it comes together so beautifully. So today's show. Uh, yep, we got my favorite horror films of 2016 list. Cool. The not-so-random watches, I'm uh, going to be diving back into some 70s American horror. Uh, recently, I was able to pick up a an Arrow Blu-ray box set release of the American Horror Project. And um, apparently it's going to be an oncoming or an ongoing series, although they haven't announced a volume two yet. Uh, but the whole purpose is to kind of find lesser-known uh, 70s American 70s horror films and give them the red carpet treatment and the guy uh steering this whole thing is none other than um steven uh trowler who did the amazing uh, thrower 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 let me say trowler thrower steven thrower who did the amazing nightmare usa book so this is it's definitely a cool thing it's three very bizarre movies you guys will be i'm sure interested to hear you know i've got some interesting things to say about these films for sure and of course then finally we're going to go into Stranger Things. Uh, I'm not going to 
give you like a full plot by plot rundown. I'm going to talk about a lot of different elements of it. I am going to talk about some episodes and yes, it will be very, very spoiler heavy. So you'll, you know, keep that in mind. I am, I'm not, I'm not going to be vague about my discussion on this show, but, and then of course we'll close out and I'll uh, give you a preview of the next uh, episode, which I, I, I've already started working on. So, uh, although, you know, in a very small capacity and I, you know, don't get your hopes up for a quick release, but yes, uh, I'll preview some future stuff and what I, what I'm hoping to do over at least the next few months. Uh, and then that'll be the end of the show before that got to go with our music choice. The band out of Arkansas, a doom metal band called Paul Bearer. Uh, these guys have put out a couple albums. Uh, very, very, very amazing, badass kind of doom metal albums. They're a little more, they're not quite as heavy and slow. They're a little more, uh, there's a little more m- melodic aspects to what they've done. So it's not, this, this album will be a huge departure, but they have a new album coming out uh, about a week or so after uh, I've recorded this episode here. It's the uh, end of March called Heartless. And uh, this song, Thorns, is amazing. And it definitely has shown a growth in the band where they've taken their sort of dual guitar, melody, doom metal, and mixed it with like the Joy Division and Typo Negative, maybe a little uh, Voivod in there, some My Dying Bride. There's kind of this almost this gothic kind of pretty prettier element that's kind of in there and it's once again it's an album that is just it is so thick with emotion which i you know i'm a big fan of so check out this song thorns paul bear new album heartless badass go out and it, it, seriously the whole thing is I've, I've i was lucky enough to hear it uh in advance and it is it is definitely a, an album of the year kind of thing so I'm going to put that on, and then after that, we're going to go uh, into my favorite uh, horror films of 
guys, there you go. Paul Bear. Holy Christ. Talk about some badassery there. Woo. Good Lord. So, um, here we go. My favorite horror films of 2016. Uh, as I said in the introduction, only uh, 13 titles this year. I've, I've kept it a little, a little more sparse than in the past. Um, I just, you know, I, I think I, since I'm not doing an entire episode on it and I'm just kind of using it as a segment, I didn't want to do 2025 films. I probably could have made that list, but honestly, by the time you hit those 20s, they're just films that are, they're not bad. They were, they were enjoyable, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I needed to spend the time on it. So, uh, essentially, I guess it's my top 10 with three honorable mentions, maybe. I guess that's how we'll look at it. So, number 13, The Blair Witch. Um, I, I know a lot of people were not very happy with that film. I, I found it to be what I thought it was going to be. Um, a, a, you know, a more, slightly more polished uh, you know, it definitely was a little less on the dialogue and a little less on the, on the things that annoyed people with the original, the camera is much uh, more stable in this and it's not as much kind of just people crying in the woods for, for a long period of time. They, they do of the filmmakers, Adam Wingard being the director is guy I love does a good job of, I think, ramping it up a little bit. Obviously, it, you know, it's number 13 on my list, so it wasn't like it blew me away, but it delivered, and there's there's a pretty good twist. I like the twist, so I, I thought it worked enough. Uh, number 12, 31, the Rob Zombie film. Uh, you know, I don't know. I had higher hopes for it. It, it was entertaining, uh, but it's... I don't know if it's necessarily anything that Rob Zombie hasn't already given you. Uh, the best I can ex describe it is that, like House of a Thousand Corpses meets... Uh, the Running Man, you know, maybe a little bit of uh, The Purge thrown in there just for good measure. Uh, there's some good performances. There's some good gory moments, but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I you know, he's, I, I'm, st I'm still wondering about zombies sometimes, but he does make entertaining uh, shit to say the least. Number 11, um, uh, uh, an anthology film, Southbound, which kind of gives you, um, uh, you know, a little Southern American kind of Texarkana flair to, uh, <laughs> to, um, uh, the, the horror anthology subgenre, I guess. Uh, there's some good stories in there. I like that they're all kind of tied together. They, they do a really nice way to tie the different stories together that I thought was pretty, pretty smart on their part. Honestly, 31 would have made an amazing segment, uh, you know, inside of Southbound. So there you go, honorable mentions. Number 10, Phantasm 5, Ravager. You know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> it took a long time for us to get that movie. I thought it was entertaining. It's great to see all those actors back. It definitely gives you a definitive closure while still being slightly vague, which is something that you would want out of a Phantasm movie. Um, yeah, Don Coscarelli doesn't direct it, but uh, David Hartman, I think is his name, does a, a good job. It's, you know, all the things you would want out of that movie are there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it, the Angus Scrim aspect, he was definitely kind of just shoehorned in there. Obviously, he was very old. And, and, you know, I think they were pretty limited on what they could have him do. But uh, it's, an, it's an interesting story. And there's, a, there's some different storylines and narratives in there that are... Um, kind of compelling and it definitely helps 
uh, I don't know. I, it, it does a good job of encompassing sort of the obscure bizarreness of the franchise as a whole. Number nine, Lights Out. It's an interesting premise. Uh, the short film, obviously, this was a very sh uh, a, a short film that got found by I don't know I don't know how it happened but I mean it's a it was a studio film and they got a budget and um you know it it does have some cool stuff to it I I don't know I I mean I it kind of got it got mixed reviews I found it to be entertaining I found it to be scary at times I think the performances were pretty believable for the most part um yeah yeah I don't know it it was it was a a good you know late night turn turn the lights off you know, uh, let yourself Im immerse yourself into the concept of the lights out. You know, this, it, it, it's, uh, and, and, and I think it holds, it holds up, you know, a lot of times with films where there's kind of rules to how, how things happen or go, sometimes they, they kind of change it along the way. Whereas I think with lights out they're they're pretty consistent. So I give them, give them props on that. Number eight, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, it's more of a suspense thriller, uh, not so much horror or genre, at least until, you know, not until the third act and, and maybe even late into the third act. The performances are super solid and it's a creepy, unnerving movie that then turns into a Cloverfield movie at the end. Uh, you know, John Goodman's is the shit. That's all, all you need to say. Number seven, Hush, one of the better, uh, you know, meta slashers to come along in recent years. We've got a, a woman who's a writer uh, living in her house that's out kind of out in the remote, isolated sort of uh, out in the woods somewhere. It's a nice house, but you know she's just away from the from from a lot of people. And uh, there's a masked killer who is uh, he wants to he wants to kill her, and it just so happens that she's deaf. Yeah, and so it kind of plays out in this cat and mouse thing. It is. Excellent. Hush was a really, really uh, well-made movie, and it kind of plays on some cliches of both home invasion and slasher while being sort of its own thing. Number six, The Purge, Election Year. Uh, these movies, although I, th I still think maybe Anarchy was better, this was a really uh, a fun movie. It's dark. It's uncomfortable. You know, you really hate all the villains. Like, there's just a lot of, like, you just, you really want to see people get their comeuppance. And, uh, and for the most part, it delivers on that. It does give you a bigger storyline. And it, it's kind of ironic that they chose election year as the title when we're, you know, we've had a, a pretty tumultuous year with things along those lines. So maybe a little ironic, maybe not, who knows. But entertaining nonetheless. And Frank Grillo's uh, just an awesome badass, like... I don't know. Good, good anti-hero. Number five, I am not a serial killer. This was a more of an independent film. Um, it's, I think, set somewhere in the 80s in a small town where there's some serial killings going on and everybody suspects like this weirdo, kind of the weirdo, gothy, you know, whatever kid. Uh, but there maybe is a different, something different going on. And uh, we get a really uh, tremendous uh, performance out of Christopher Lloyd. Yes, that Christopher Lloyd. Uh, Back to the Future and, you know, all those comedies and stuff like that. Yeah, he is pretty old and he gives a pretty interesting performance. And it's a pretty cool movie. It's got a little bit of humor, dark humor to it. It's, it's, I, I really enjoyed this a lot. It, it was a big surprise for me. I didn't really know anything about it. And, um... All, I, you know, ultimately, I think it delivered. I mean, it's my top five, so there you go. Number four, The Conjuring 2. 
Um, you know, say what you will about Ed and Lorraine Warren in real life. The Condra movies are, are pretty compelling. And, uh, you know, the performances from uh, uh, Vera Farming, Farming, Verminja, whatever you say her name is, and Patrick Wilson um, are just so good. And, and they really amp up the sort of emotional aspects. You know, a good haunted house movie is hard to find. There, there, there was an abundance of them for a while there and a lot of dreck. These uh, definitely, the bar is always high with the Conjuring films. And I don't even necessarily mean the whole world, you know, the, the periphery stories. I wasn't big on Annabelle, and I know they have another one coming out. I don't know how excited I am about that. But if, if and when a Conjuring 3 comes out, I'm on board. Number three, Green Room. This is um, I, Jeremy Solner's uh, follow-up to Blue Ruin, which was one of my absolute favorite films from that year, and, and it's just a tremendous example of, like, low-budget, gritty genre filmmaking. Green Room delivers on so many levels. Anton Yelchin, one of his final performances before his, uh, untimely passing. Patrick Stewart giving just this crazy, intense performance as a neo-Nazi. Uh, the violence is there. When it, when it works, it works. It, it's intense. It's really well shot. It looks great. Um, it's uh, it's a fun ride, but it's dark too. Uh, you know, he's this is he's a tremendous filmmaker, and I'm very I'll be I'll be anytime he's putting something out, I'm gonna it's gonna be on my radar. That's for sure. Number two, a little bit controversial, The Witch. Some people say it's not horror. I call uh, bollocks to it. It's uh, it's a horror film. It's about atmosphere. It's about mood. It's about tension, dread. You know. It, it you know is it more of a suspense movie or whatever sure i guess but to me suspense is horror i don't i don't get the argument um i just don't find it i to me it's a, a very unique film it's beautifully shot it's so just depressing and cold and dark and just uh, yeah i mean and yeah it does get a little fantastic towards the end but that's where the the genre element comes in so i you know i don't uh i i i i really appreciated the witch and like i said i know it's a kind of controversial a lot of people hit or miss on it i don't know to me it was good stuff uh it was a very auteur kind of uh expression which you just don't always see anymore number one don't breathe uh you know, Fede Alvarez, uh, Evil Dead remake, comes uh, his return film. I, it delivers on so many levels. I mean, it's violent. It's, you know, you don't, all the characters are, they switch from being likable to unlikable to likable to deplorable. Uh, the, you know, the the villain is sort of, <laughs> there's a lot of ambiguity in gray in this movie. I mean, it ultimately it it, it becomes very, unlike that but for a, a large portion of the film there is sort of this it plays with that and and the actual when it's once again when the intense stuff comes in it's so good it was such a you know just a it's a really smart movie I, I you know I don't know I really enjoyed Don't Breathe I think it's it's it delivers on a lot of different levels and they you know there you go another young up-and-coming filmmaker um who who's delivered on a couple different t times and, uh, you know, it, it's not as intense as, as Evil Dead Remake was, but it's still dark enough, and, and it's good stuff. So, yeah, there you go. Number one, Don't Breathe. Favorite horror films of 2016. There you have it. Up next, uh, the not-so-random watches American Horror Project. 
Welcome back to the Not So Random Watches, and uh, today, I, uh, as I said, I'm going to be discussing the, uh, well this actually came out last year, 2016, uh, Arrow video release of the American Horror Project Volume 1. Now, a little disclaimer, as I said in the intro with Shudder, uh, no, I am not a paid uh, spokesman for Arrow Video. Um, yeah, they don't uh, support the show or anything like that, although if somebody over there at Arrow is listening and would like to start sending me all of their wonderful releases for free, I will most certainly uh, continue to talk about them. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, honestly, these things, they, they do am amazing work, um, you know, not only with, like, the video restoration and the sound stuff, with the all the bonus features, the featurettes, the documentaries, all kinds of, you know, both retro things and newly made uh, content. Uh, usually, like, a lot of these special editions have, like, a book with them. I mean, this thing's got, like, a... It's like a 60-page book or something like that that comes with it. With uh, each film in the set, there's three of them total, given an essay. I mean, that's how, like, they Like, it's, it's, a, it's a very... Uh, everything they do is really quality stuff. Even just their normal you know, whatever, uh, releases, just tend to be really spectacular. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan. Every month I find myself, like, wanting to buy something of, <laughs> of theirs. Uh, so, yeah, here we go. American Horror Project Volume 1. Uh, as I had said in the intro, it, it is uh, being curated by Stephen Thrower, who did the amazing Nightmare USA book. Uh, once again, a Volume 1. Hopefully we'll see a Volume 2 of that someday. Um, same with this American Horror Project as well. But the point of it is was to is to spotlight maybe lesser seen 70s horror films. Something that, of course, you guys know is a big love of mine. And uh, especially the kind of the lesser seen gems. Because I've, I've found, you know, that especially in the 70s, there's a lot of overlooked horror films. Uh, they're just not, it's not... A lot of the titles just aren't as prevalent as the 80s releases. It's funny, when you, if you really sit back and look at a lot of the stuff that was being watched in the video stores, it wasn't 
A lot of it wasn't the 70s movies. If it was, it was the more known titles, Texas Chainsaw Massacres or, you know, whatever, The Exorcist, these, these sort of bigger, well-known releases. Um, a couple of the movies in this set, there, there are three, three uh, to be exact, Malatesta's Carnival of Blood from 1973, and then two titles from 1976, The Witch Who Came, uh, Who Came from the Sea and The Premonition. Uh, a couple of these, I don't know which ones I'd have to, it's, it's written down here somewhere, but a couple of them got their first ever, like, release on anything, like Blu-ray, DVD, whatever, I, I, I don't think it's The Witch Who Came to See, I think The Premonition's getting, like, its first ever, like, real release, and both Malatesta's Carnival of Blood and The Witch Who Came from the Sea both had DVD releases that were kind of obscure, um, I think maybe... Um, might have gotten some public domain releases as well, but they've been pretty much forgotten about. And, uh, you know, they give out the red carpet treatment for these, and honestly, they are... Here's the thing. Now, you guys know I love these 70s movies. Uh, they have a particular pace, flavor to them. They're a little dialogue-heavy. They're uh, maybe... Uh, the dramatic tension's a little higher. They tend to be a little more whether it's over emotive, overacting, whatever it is, that tends to be sort of part of the 70s kind of flavor. Um, I love that stuff. That being said, these three films are, are interesting. They're entertaining. I really enjoyed all of them. Um, I would recommend them, but just with a little bit of trepidation out of, out of you guys, only because, uh, like I, I've said before with the 70s stuff, I tend to be a little more glowing about them that maybe they deserve, or maybe not that they deserve, but maybe it, that the reality of them are, simply because I am such a big fan of this, uh, you know, this particular era. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, 1973's Malatesta of Blood. Um, actually, you know what, real quick, before I, a couple more things. The, the um, you know, a lot of this stuff, this is all, once again, the regional uh, filmmaking that was very popular and it was it really what it helped turn the horror genre into what it is today I mean you know these were all all of these films are very much testaments and and in the bonus features the filmmakers themselves all comment on location and uh the local environment and that local flavor for each one it's very obvious in the films and it uh you know, it's 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 like a, its own part of the movie, and I think that that's a very important uh, to always keep in mind with these films is that they're all very low budget. I mean, uh, maybe the, the Witch Who Came from the Sea maybe has the most budget since it was a, a California film, even if it maybe didn't have the highest budget. You know, they're it seems the most polished of the three. Um, but they're very; these are kind of bizarre movies. All three of them are. Uh, they, their their narratives are a little bit wonky at times um you know there but there's a there's a all three of these films have a very heavy attention for mood and atmosphere and tension and they're and they're being created um you know the all three of these films are a little bit kind of little have a little artsy flair to them um they're bending kind of the narrative structure a little bit uh two of the movies uh, uh, take place, uh, you know, either revolving around or directly in um, a carnival or a theme park or something of that nature. And the third one, of which came from the sea, 
it's it very much on the on the coast so it has a very similar you know the beach and the coast and so it has this kind of you know you're taking these kind of uh, peaceful vacation spots and turning them into something a little more sinister or a little darker or, or that there is something maybe underneath all of the you know the memories that people have of you know going to the boardwalk or whatever or you know going to see a traveling circus or something of that nature um so you know, I, I think that uh, they're they're very interesting films, but I think you know they're it's definitely you want to keep this in mind when you're watching them. Is that don't don't be trying to tie into a very strong narrative with any any one of these three films because it it's there but it isn't there, and it's not the point either fully. You know, they these all three of these movies they it is a very smartly curated trilogy of, of films like it makes sense that they be put together i at least i feel like it does uh so we'll start here I, you know i'm not gonna do a, a big thing on each one but just maybe a few minutes on each movie the first being malatesta's carnival of blood from 1973 it was directed by christopher spieth he's a pittsburgher uh but they ended up shooting it uh, in eastern pa in a, a closed down amusement park uh that had uh, had some fires and stuff and they uh, some of the park was still running and functional, but other parts weren't, and so they were kind of able to to use that to their advantage. I think it's uh, Willow Grove Amusement Park uh, was where they where they actually shot it. Um, it. It's a it's a bizarre movie. We've got this traveling carnival, sort of, but I mean, there's a roller coaster there, so I don't you know I don't I don't quite know. I think it's supposed to be like a theme park, but there's a lot of kind of carnival sort of feel to it. Um, you know, it's sort of a mix of like, um, it's got a very Night of the Living Dead kind of thing going on. Um, the 19, actually the 1970 film, or 70 or 71, Carnival of Blood, a movie I have talked about on this show, uh, and Carnival of Souls, hence why I, I kind of get this carnival idea, because it, it feels like uh, the those three films sort of mixed together, but it's kind of a little more surreal, um, essentially we've got this family that's just moved into the park and they're going to work for them, but it's run by this weird guy, Dr. Blood. And there's just, it's a lot of strange stuff, but really what it gets down to in the end is that the, um, the, 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 uh, amusement park is being run by a vampire who, uh, <laughs> who has cannibals dwelling in the basement. And, uh, yeah. And so that's kind of. That's kind of what's going on, um, and uh, you know, you, you you sort of have different characters come in and out, but like I said, it's not the narrative isn't as strong maybe as as you know you would be used to. Um, this one's probably the most surreal of the three, or at least the narrative structure. It's most more like a, a you know, it's very kind of fantasy kind of feeling. Um, I think it's also maybe the the goriest although it's not the most violent if that makes sense um but it's a very interesting little movie I, it's real short too it's like 70 minutes long um and there's enough stuff there to deliver there's a great scene with a guy riding a roller coaster and he gets decapitated it's pretty hilarious um yeah you know and it almost reminds me in times even too of like some of the old school german silent films where um you know uh cabinet of uh, dr caligari in in particular um there's some scenes especially when you get underneath the park 
where you where you get some of that stuff. Uh, it's a very interesting film. It's it's kind of dark. It's kind of weird. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with it though, and it's 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 definitely the the funnest of the three. All right, uh, up next we've got from 1976, The Witch Who Came from the Sea, directed by Matt Simber. Uh, he did The Candy Tangerine Man, which was a, a fairly note noteworthy black exploitation film uh, the year before shot in Southern California, and uh, the one name that everybody's, or at least a lot of you are going to know, Dean Cundy, was the assistant director of photography. He goes on, you know, to be John Carpenter's guy for years, including uh, Halloween, which, you know, sort of, that, you know, skyrocketed his career. Also, the movie stars uh, Millie Perkins, who probably less of you would know, uh, starred as Anne Frank in... Um, a 19, 1959 film and so she's much more known for that role and in, in this film they kind of take advantage of that um, you know uh, by making her a pretty crazy character so I mean essentially the story is we've got this uh, a woman who is um, she's not married she uh, lives with her sister and her, her sister's two kids um, the, the father is a drunk and he's not around so she takes care of the kids and at nighttime she works at a bar she's a little unhinged she's very um fixated on television and uh commercials and famous people athletes and you can tell very early on that there's something a little bit off about her and uh like her sort of like this she immediately like starts to question like the reality of of what's on the television and like confuse that with her actual life and, uh, you know, through a, a series of kind of strange events, she becomes a little more uh, overtly sexual. And in doing that, it makes her a little crazier and crazier. There's definitely a correlation between her sexuality and the losing of her mind and the violence that she ends up committing. Um, it's, a, it's, a very, it's another kind of weird movie. It's, it's definitely got a weird vibe to it. Um, Millie Perkins' performance is pretty excellent. I mean, she is balls to the wall uh, in this. And it, it's not a bad movie. It's actually a pretty uh, well put together. Um, it's a pretty uh, smartly, uh, uh, you know, constructed film. It doesn't, it doesn't really deviate too much narrative-wise, which I think is important. Um, you know, it's... There's a lot of dream sequences. The movie definitely plays with the idea of, like, it, her fragmented mind and if she's, like, dreaming or are things actually happening and then it becomes more obvious that the things are, in fact, happening and that she is losing her mind. And then we, there is a, there is actually a, a reason for it. it. It is tied together. Uh, by the end, you, you fully get why she has a split. She has a split personality and it's a sexual interaction, sexual intercourse, sexual arousal, which brings this out in her. Uh, you know, I don't want to give anything away too much on it because it is—it's kind of a neat, a, a dark little twist. But it's a—it's a pretty good movie, and I once again, I—I, I, you know, I think there's something to be gained from from watching it. Um, it's—it's it's not quite as entertaining maybe as as Maltesta's Carnival of Blood, but it's still pretty—it's still got a, some pretty sensational kind of fantastic moments to it. 
Alright, finally, 1976, The Premonition. Uh, this film is directed by Robert Allen Schnitzer. And he had done some work before. Uh, I'm trying to think what it was. He did a, a film with Sylvester Stallone. I can't remember if it was Riot or Fist. One of the two. <laughs> uh, from the 70s, of course. One of, one of Sly's first, first roles, I think. It may have actually been his first role. Um, we got a, a film with a... Uh, once again, tied around a carnival, and we've got this carny who's a photographer and a mime uh, as well, and uh, a woman who's a little bit unhinged, and she thinks that her uh, daughter was taken from her. Simultaneously, we have a, a kind of a middle-class suburban husband and wife. Uh, the husband is a, a professor at the university. The wife, not sure what she does um, she does, she does something. I, I don't think she's just like a homemaker or anything, but she, they adopted a child and the mother's kind of having these like weird visions. And it's, it's a movie that kind of plays a lot with, um, you know, the, the director actually, there's some great, um, supplementary stuff with this film in particular where the director talks a lot about, uh, like ESP and precognition uh, like telekinetic powers, mind, like the ability of, uh, you know, he, he talks about synchronicity and coincidence and it's, and a lot of the film sort of plays on, on these ideas. It's kind of a procedural thing. Essentially we have, um, first, uh, an attempted kidnapping of the child, the, the, the quote unquote, the, the actual mother and this mime clown, uh, are trying to take this child back, and we find out that the mother was actually institutionalized, and the child was put into adoption, and, uh, you know, she's still pretty unhinged, and our, our traveling carny mime is not a very nice guy, um, and they do attempt to kidnap the girl, and then these, uh, sort of the escalation of these events causes the wife, uh, to be, to kind of, it, it brings out these powers more where she's having these very vivid dreams and she's seeing, uh, like through the eyes of the mother, the, you know, the crazy mother of this, of the, of the little girl, the adopted girl. And then the film kind of takes a turn midway and it sort of does something else, but still following this whole, um, idea of just, of the mind being able to do more than what we think and how maybe certain events that seem uh, meaningless at the time actually do have a bigger um, bigger feel to it. It's a great cast. A lot of uh, maybe people you wouldn't necessarily know but you might have seen in things in 70s and 80s films. One person in particular, uh, Richard Lynch, who plays the Jude, the the mime clown photographer? Uh, you would know him in Battlestar Galactica, and he played villains in a bunch of stuff in the in the eighties, particularly seventies, eighties, and nineties. A very good character actor, but uh, you would know him. He's got a scarred neck and face, um, but a very talented actor. And once again, uh, on the supplementary material, there's a great uh, interview with him, like a twenty minute interview with him. Um, you know, later in his life, and he, he really brings uh, some interesting comments to it. Um, Premonition may be the least horror of the three. It's definitely mostly a suspense thriller, um, but I still think it has enough there to to get your interest going. 
Uh, like I said, you know, you got to take it through the Josh filter of my love of 70s things, but uh, I, uh, all three of these films I enjoyed. You can actually, once again, not to <laughs> promote Shudder too much, all three of them, are. Uh, you can watch them on Shudder. Um, so if you have Shudder, you can check all three of these out. The supplementary stuff is, of course, not there, but, you know, watch the movies, and if you like it, the set's not actually that much. I think I got it for 40 bucks or something like that. Uh, 40, 45 bucks, and it's well, to me, it was well worth it, three, three films, double disc, Blu-ray, DVD, a nice 60-page book, it was great stuff, so, uh, yeah, you know, it got me interested in, in going back into 70s horror, and, uh, 70s American horror, and so you, you might, uh, you might be happy to know that, uh, maybe a future upcoming episode might have been inspired from, uh, these watches, so, there you have it. Thanks uh, to the 70s regional American horror films that uh, bring a lot of uh, joy to my life. Uh, so, up next, we go to the main main subject for the episode, Stranger Things. And, uh, yeah. Alright, guys. truly not only watched a television show but loved it to the point where like I think it's like one of the greatest things ever that is Stranger Things yeah I know the term television show seems a little antiquated now because a lot of shows are doing streaming and a lot of different things but I'm still gonna use it for now uh right off the bat I mean honestly to me Stranger Things is in my opinion, the greatest singular, like, season of a narrative show ever. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's, I'm just laying it out there. That's how I feel. Um, you know, it, I mean, I, yes, it's been announced there's a sequel. Uh, you know, what will come of that? I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but just this season in and of itself, it is just unbelievably amazing. Um, you know, for me, the hype on shows often annoys me and like I end up not liking it. It's happened with a lot of stuff. You know, Game of Thrones or uh, American Horror Story or whatever. A lot of different things. Um, this, I mean, it, this lives up to all of the hype and then some. Uh, and I do, like, look, and I get it, like, uh, yeah, I'm a child of the 80s, and yes, that show is going to resonate more with people who are either from that era or have an affinity to that era, uh, but I, I think that genuinely, and I, I think it's been proven <laughs> through 
the you know the the immense amount of uh attention the show's gotten and the and the following that it has now that it's a it's just a good story it's a good story told right and so you don't need to know that era or have that affinity for that era to like the show now of course it does help and it adds extra to it and there's going to be references uh, that are going to be made in the show or things in the background or whatever there's going to be things there that maybe makes the that'll make the watching more enjoyable if you have context for it but like i said at the same time it's so just beautifully written and impeccably shot and you know the emotion the atmosphere the performances the music um you know everything about this thing you know they the you know the look and the feel of the show uh you know the location this small little americana town this little kind of suburban little you know whatever like these towns that just don't necessarily exist quite as much now in the world today um you know the the, the from the way that it's shot but like the the actual color spectrum of it it is a little bit muted so it kind of plays into that older vibe but then uh you know i don't know it, it really makes you feel like you're back in the 80s uh, especially you know as someone who lived through them uh, you know, the technical aspects of this thing are tremendous. I mean, the camera work, there's a, it's all really good stuff. Slow-moving camera, not a lot of quick edits or quick cuts. There are cuts, and there are some quick cuts in there, but it's a film that... Uh, film, I keep saying that. It's a show that allows itself room to breathe. And that's always one... And that's been one of my big complaints, uh, technically, aesthetically, concerning a lot of this, you know, this whole kind of movement of the show. Um, there's, there's this need to rush through things, which is insane because it's a show and it's like, a you know, you're, you're, you know, in a lot of ways you're telling useless, pointless stories often, you know, some of those shows when they do 12, 13 hour long episodes, they, they, they go off onto storylines and tangents that maybe aren't uh, necessary, which has always been my complaint. Um, I think Stranger Things with eight episodes, it's right there. Could they have maybe expanded it more? I'm sure they could have, but I think it, it fits in really well. Um, you know, and I think that there's a lot of, you know, just static shots and slow moving camera, uh, you know, uh, camera movements and... It just, I don't know, like like I said, it allows itself room to breathe, which isn't always the case in television shows. There's always this need to entertain and to like, and that entertainment means lots of, you know, fast dialogue and quick cuts and quick moving camera shots and like, I don't know. It feels very cinematic. Maybe that's a, a nice way of putting it with Stranger Things. It seems much more cinematic than in, in execution and, and aesthetic than a lot of shows that I've seen. Uh, the lighting, you know, everything about it. There's a lot of cool little lighting tricks that they do and, and use of light. And like I said, that you know, the, the color is sort of muted at times, but they do other things with lighting and different color things, palettes to kind of break it up, break up that monotony of, of maybe a slightly muted uh, look to it. Um, you know, I, I, the set design, uh, you know, they must have spent a lot of time and money on props and set design and, like, making sure everything seems very authentic and, like, natural. Um, 
I don't know. The acting in this thing. I mean, everything. There's three different storylines essentially going on. Like, I mean, there's lots of them, but you know, you can follow it pretty easily with the adults. <laughs> um, which to me is, I mean, like I said, with with uh, in my top five. I mean, David Harbour and uh, Winona Ryder in particular are just outstanding. Uh, Matthew Modine's really creepy. Uh, there's a lot of smaller performances by different adult actors that are that are necessary but really you're only following like two or three adult characters but they're just uh, you know tremendous yeah okay and then of course you've got the second storyline with the teenager aspect and it's following a lot of the john hughes kind of formula and feel to it you know it's uh you know with the 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 cool kids and the nerd and the, the artsy nerdy kid. And he's in love with the girl who's with like the cool guy who has the nice car. And there's a lot of that stuff going on. But once again, they prove uh, a necessary part of the storyline. And then of course the kids, the kids are amazing. You know, uh, they're, you know, they're, those kids are unreal. They're very talented and they do a great job. And it's very hard to get that kind of stuff out of young actors. And kudos to, you know, the people involved with Stranger Things, not only for the casting, but, you know, being able to get the most out of those young actors. Ah, let's see, the score, my God, yeah, you know it, the keyboard stuff, the synth, it's just, it's, it just oozes coolness. Uh, they use some music from that time as well, from the 80s, uh... Should I stay or should I go now? One in particular, the Clash song. But there are others, uh, other stuff in there. You hear Joy Division in there. And it, uh, you know, it just, I don't know. All of this stuff is helping to build this this feel to it. Uh, you know, everything, even the even the title card, the opening title scene where you get the red, you know, the red title, the, the, the red title graphic and the, and the, and it's the cameras pulling out from it and moving over and you're getting like bits and pieces of it and then it reveals the whole thing. And then you get that great, uh, chapter number with the name and then the camera zooms in to the, to the name of the, the episode, which goes from white text to the actual show and as you zoom in you zoom in and boom all of a sudden the titles are gone and you're in the show and it's just so perfect it's like those kind of little details that really put it in uh, that 80s vibe and feel and that's the thing with this show and the most important aspect outside of that the technical things and the actual quality and, and craft of the show is this thing is just on it's a love letter an homage to the 80s uh and and you know really those films are that that ter that era's gone i mean christ we're talking we're almost 30 years uh, and you know i mean this is 2017 30 years is is 1987 i mean so we're almost three decades past the 80s uh, it makes me feel old as shit sometimes, but you know it's all there. I mean the 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 Spielberg, the Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Chris Columbus films, like that whole aspect of it is there. You know you've got like the kids solving mysteries and having adventures. There's a ton of movies like that. It makes me think of Monster Squad quite a bit. Um, 
and, and of course, other films like that, Goonies, and, and you, know, you know, on and on and on and on, Gremlins. I mean, there's just so many. Stand By Me. There's so many things that this is referencing and paying homage to Stephen King. I mean, there's a very Stephen King vibe down from the, the conspiracy angle to the horror elements to the multiple kind of storylines going on. Um, you know, as I said before, the, all the amazing pop culture references are there, you know, especially like the dungeon. I mean, their kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's, it's just great. You know, um, you know, everybody, all the kids are riding around on the bikes. There's bullies and teen romance and friggin' like so many <laughs> 80s cliches, you know, it, it's just amazing. Like the, the oblivious parents and the, uh, you know, the, uh, just everything about this it's just a it's a love letter to that time and era and not only it, it it pays tribute to that era but it also does a good job of actually representing what things looked like and felt like in that era you know often like i always complain about like the whole grindhouse movement that was big you know, maybe a decade, well, Christ, almost a decade and a half ago now, uh, where a lot of 70s sort of that grimy, kind of angry, violent aesthetic of 70s genre filmmaking was being recreated by newer filmmakers, but they weren't really because they were, you know, they're using that gritty aesthetic, but then they're, it's tons of fast editing and quick camera movements and like, just a lot of elements that aren't, they weren't actual homages to 70s films. They were taking aspects of 70s filmmaking and putting it into a modern context. Well, this is the opposite. I mean, they are, it is a modern feel, whatever, the way they're shooting it. They're using modern equipment and whatnot, but this thing looks, feels, breathes like it was made in 19, you know, I wouldn't say 83, which is when it actually, I think it takes place in the show, but you know, this feels like an 80s thing for sure. Um, I, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, there's a, just a lot to be gained from the whole thing. Like I said, the whole conspiracy angle, you know, that's, it's, I mean, we know these things are true now, you know, <laughs> the American government was definitely not only complicit, but like really forwardly moving towards trying to like unlock the secret mysteries of the mind and, and human potential and seeing if you push people to extremes where it'll take them. And, and, you know, it happens in very large, bold ways uh, on Stranger Things. So, um, you know, as I said, I'm not going to go through the entire plot of the show. Uh, I, I don't I don't necessarily, you know, I mean, I'm sure uh, the vast majority of you listening have already seen it. And if you haven't, well, I mean, let, let me say, I mean, watch it, you know, stop, stop the episode now, watch it and come back on, turn it on and you can get, you know, you'll get the spoilers and whatnot. But I'm going to talk about it. Um you know, I'm not going to leave anything on the table necessarily, or off the table, I guess I should say, uh, with the show. But essentially, we have small town America, kind of a middle class, uh, you know, somewhere. It's Indiana, actually, so there you go. Uh, 1983, and um, we have in this small town, there's a research facility, some sort of government thing. We're told it's the Department of Energy. And, uh, but they're, they're up to something <laughs> and you get that as the viewer, you understand that very early on, um, the, the actual characters have to figure it out and that's sort of the adventure they go on. But 
we have uh, the, the 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 show opens with uh, one child disappearing, one kid disappearing, while another one showing up out of nowhere and emerging. And we, yeah, we go along the road. Uh, essentially, we've got three the three young kids and their friend. Will Byers disappears. They were playing Dungeons and Dragons one night. They call it a night. The you know the other three kids who don't live at the house are riding their bikes home. Of course, you know the eighties. And uh, as we as they all depart, we fi- finish with Will, who lives on the edge outskirts of town. His mother's a little poor. She's raising two kids on her own, and that's kind of played into the into the narrative of the story. Well, he uh, he goes missing, and. Uh, Yes, and then we, we find that this young girl, a shaved head and a, a wearing a hospital gown, appears in this town. And uh, it takes a little bit of time, but eventually the people, the adults of the town, figure out that Will is missing. And that's kind of where everything goes from there. And so we're sort of following the story of where's Will Byers? How do we find him? What's going on? You're following the chief. Uh, the town chief, David Harbor, Chief Hopper, he's, it's one of the best performances I've ever seen. Like that, like I said, the old school kind of rugged, Kurt Russell, you could see Kurt Russell playing this guy or, you know, maybe Jeff Bridges back in the day. I mean, there's, you know, or John Wayne, like it's, it's very iconic Americana kind of. Uh, performance and character and it's great he's so good he's such just like a one of my favorite lines you know he is he's a little smart though he's you know he's not a he's not a dummy he's not just a man of action but uh you know early in the show uh he's hung over you can see he like he drinks a lot and he's popping pills and stuff he's got something going on you, you figure it out later of course but uh, you know, he comes to work at the police station and the secretary is like bugging him about a bunch of stuff and my favorite lines, man. And, and actually like, it's a big deal. They've, I mean, it's, you know, this isn't, I'm not the only one to catch on to this, but he says, you know, mornings are for coffee and contemplation, coffee and contemplation. And <laughs> I, uh, boy, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I couldn't agree more on that. So, uh, you know, the second he lays that line out, like you're just hooked. And so you're following him while you're also following Renona Ryder's character, Joyce Byers, the mother of, of little Will. And she's got a teenage, uh, an older teenage son. The boys are all, I think, early teens. They're supposed to be like junior high, seventh grade. Whereas the younger, or the, you know, the older brother, he's a junior or a senior. He's pretty much, yeah, at the end of high school. And uh, yeah, so you, you start to follow, you know, Joyce is losing her mind. She's she's emotionally breaking down. Her son's missing. There's all these weird things happening. She's getting phone calls from what she thinks is him. And, you know, you sort of follow all this along. And as it goes, you know, we find out that the girl, Elle, her name's Eleven. Uh, that's her that was her name in the in in the friggin' wherever she is, this you know, this uh government hideouts you know that's got like you know all kinds of stuff they're doing experiments on people and she was one of them and um so you're you know the the story is kind of unfolding like who l is what her story is where she comes from what important about her while you're also trying to find out where will's at and then you add in a third element that well through uh the government uh experimentation 
Uh, poor little L is got uh, some psychic powers, and um, through a series of events, uh, uh, specifically having to do with a deprivation tank, she, uh, you know, she's able to tap into people's minds, essentially. Find people and go into their mind and figure out where they are and what they're thinking and what they're doing um, through torture. I mean, she's tor- like it's shown sort of sporadically throughout the show once again that she's tortured, and that's why she has this power, these, these abilities. Um, but he, uh, you know, she, in the process, unlocks a doorway that allows some sort of creature from either another planet, another dimension. Like it's not really, it's not really ever explained what the creature is or where it's from. It's just, it's there. (laughs) And so you've got these three different storylines. There's people going missing in the town and there's this creature. Obviously the, the, the people of the town don't know about this. Um, but with those three storylines, Will missing L creature kidnapping and or killing people then you're following around the adults you're following around the teens you're following around the kids and they're all in their own ways trying to solve the mystery uh hopper he's the one who gets it all kind of ties it all together the teens get aspects of it the kids get aspects of it and you know you the story plays out through those three different narratives and we just get a lot of stuff you know the uh, you know, then, like I said, all these kind of '80s cliches—the romance, the you know, the 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 weirdo kid, the artsy weirdo kid who's in love with this girl, and but she's dating the cool guy, and they have the you know the parties, and it's there's a lot of good stuff, <laughs> a lot of good very '80s cliches there. But as I said uh, before, the key, really, the key element to the show is that it is able to mix a lot of different genres. There's humorous elements, action, suspense, scares, like really emotional driving stuff. Um, and so it mixes a lot of genres and emotions. And I think that that's what really is the ultimate testament to the show. Technically it's great. All the 80s stuff's amazing. Um, you know, the, the performances, all of the, you know, the score and the lighting, all those things are there. But because it's able to express a lot of, a lot of emotional weight, it's, um, it's just amazing. I, you know, I found myself, I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I experienced a lot watching this, you know, and you, I, you know, I mean, I did, I laughed, I, I cried, like it's, it's a powerful thing. And you know, through eight episodes, we, it all comes out, you know, this girl was tortured, and she's able to tap into minds, and we find out that Will is, in fact, in this alternate dimension where the creature dwells, and he's hiding, and he's running out of time, so while they're trying to find a way to get to Will, they're also being chased by the government, by the uh, Department of Energy. They never actually come out and say what agency they actually are, but there's some sort of intelligence agency, the CIA or whatever, NSA. There's something. <laughs> they're not. They, they don't. They don't go into. They don't give you that. And that's kind of one of the cool things about the show too is that it doesn't tell you everything. It leaves some things to your mind, you know, like the creature. You don't really know a lot about the creature, the government stuff. Like they make it clear. These guys are bad. And what they're doing is there, but they don't really make it clear. Like what, who they are, or what, like 
their main purpose or goal, you know, is in doing this. And so there is some ambiguity, even though it's a, a beginning, middle, and end. There's a story and an arc, and it, it resolves, even if now there's a second season coming. Um, but yeah, so ultimately, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the hopper saves the day, the, the teens fight the monster, you know, bullies get, uh, get, uh, their comeuppance, there's, uh, there's some twists on some of the cliches, there, you know, certain things happen that maybe would have been, happened differently in, in an 80s film, so it does give you a little bit of surprises, but, it, you know, Will does come home at the end, and, and there is a, it's a great ending because there's some positive stuff, but then there's some sad stuff too, and, um, you know, Elle has to sacrifice her powers to defeat this creature, because it is badass and powerful, and, you know, and it sort of, it ends, it ends in a way that, while I, I get, it makes sense you could do a sequel, and, and I, I think from the trailer that they showed, you know, really, you're, a lot of those gray shaded areas are going to get explained, what the creatures are, where they're from, what, what they're about, maybe more what the government was trying to do, like, I think a lot of that stuff's going to get fleshed out more in the second season, but at the same time, you really don't need that, it'll be great, if it, if it turns out great, well, great, then that's two seasons worth of Stranger Things, that's amazing, um, you know, but I think that the key, and that's always been my problem, is that television shows, they're just too long. They go on too long. They, you know, tell stories that don't need told. And you just, to me, like, you know, I, I, the discipline of a film, because you have to fit everything into a certain time. Um, I appreciate that more than maybe, than, you know, the, what, what a show does. But, you know, Stranger Things, they're short, they're not hour-long episodes, they're usually about 40, 45 minutes, and there's only eight of them, and I didn't feel like there were any useless or wasted episodes or storylines, like, I, I really think they did a very smart job of just telling the right amount, giving you more in certain aspects, not giving you enough in other to kind of let you decide on your own what's going on, I, you know, it Stranger Things is, it's, it's so, it's just great. It really is. It's, uh, you know, if I could, I, I, you know, you know, I did my top 20 or my top 13 of 2016. Well, really number one is Stranger Things. I mean, it's not a film, so I didn't put it on there, but like really, you know, there's no question like Stranger Things is one. I mean, it's the, it is the best genre thing to come out in 2016 and one of the best genre films or shows to come out, you know, this decade. And I, once again, I will, I will go stand, I will stand very firm on that stance that it is, it is, uh, uh, Stranger Things is just tremendous. And, um, you know, I don't, not really much more I want to say about it. Uh, you know, I, um, maybe it, it's not quite as much horror, you know, I mean, I am calling it horror and there are horror elements, but there is a lot of other stuff going on, um, you know, could, could they maybe make it a little more horror-centric in the second season? Sure, maybe they'll do that, I don't know, um, but I think there's enough there as a, as a horror fan that you're gonna like, and I mean, like I've said before, I mean, this show, it's not just about talking about horror films or horror shows or whatever, you know, genre in general, 
Um, you know, I think there's something to be gained from a lot of that. And yeah, geez, that's it. I mean, Stranger Things, I, you know, just do yourself a favor. It's on Netflix. I'm sure like most of you either have it or know someone who does. I'm telling you, like, I, you know, I, I mean, the first time I watched it, I watched like two episodes at a time over like a week. The second time I watched it, I watched it two episodes at a time over like a few days, like maybe three days. Like it was like three or four days straight. Then the third time I watched it, I literally watched the entire show beginning to end in, in essentially one sitting. I, I took a break for half of it, but I binge watched, you know, I did it. Oh my God. I'm in the binge watch club now. Right. That's it. I binge watched the show. I did it. Um, now before any of you go out there and start sending me messages, ah, oh, you should watch this one, watch this show. You maybe you might like this. Check this out. No, the answer is no. <laughs> I um, I I'm gonna give a I um, I'm gonna probably try and give some other shows a chance. We'll see. Um, I you know I don't want to be concrete. I you know it's not good to just reject everything simply because you you don't like the majority of of that. I mean it's that's a little too close-minded. So I, I'm definitely going to give some other shows a shot, but I, I'm still gonna be very selective. Um, you know, I, I'm very selective with anything that I watch anymore, uh, particularly with newer stuff, but, um, Stranger Things is definitely worth that time. I'll probably give it a break until October. Uh, Halloween is when the show is going to come out, which is great. And maybe that is a little hint or a sign that season two is going to be much, uh, a little more horror focused. And I think, uh, even somebody from Netflix came out and said that, it's going to be a little scarier, so that's cool. Maybe, you know, that would be great to get that. Um, they said L will be back, so that's good. Um, all the characters are going to be back. They're going to bring on some new people. I'm sure we're going to get some more government people involved, uh, some new and, and more devious <laughs> elements of, of our, of our uh, secret government. Um, yeah, so and the trailer's great. I mean, if you haven't seen the the season two trailer, I'm sure you have already. It it definitely gives you enough hints and seeing the kids uh, with Will because I mean Will's now gonna be a part of the story. I doubt he'll be missing again. I if he is, you gotta feel really bad for that kid. But they're all dressed up like the Ghostbusters, which is pretty. I mean, that's pretty fucking amazing, right? Isn't it? <laughs> so you know, it'll be interesting to see where they take it. I'm guessing, like I said, they're gonna tie in a little more of that bigger picture, you know, maybe where that creature came from, um, you know, maybe there are other creatures, maybe they're pissed off because, uh, you know, one of their boys got taken and then killed, you know, who knows, um, but we'll see, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, I, I, it, it'll be interesting, and like I said, though, I think it's really important to focus on that Stranger Things in and of itself, that one season you can watch this and it'll something it'll be something to to be able to go back to and revisit. And as I said, I have hopes for a second season. You know, but if they if they start to drag it out to like 3 4 5 seasons, I hope they don't do that. I really don't. Uh you know, if you want to do a trilogy, maybe there's a third story to come. Okay, that's fine. I I can I can get on board with that. But I'm I'm really hoping that they don't try and overdo it because to me that's that's always where the shows lose me the most is that they just they don't know when to like just let it be 
you know, there's only so much story you can tell, you know, and eventually you're just exhausting it. And, um, but for right now, Stranger Things, absolute perfection. <laughs> the closest thing to it, uh, in my not so humble opinion. So there you guys have it. Stranger Things. Yes, hell has uh, not frozen over. Uh, I did watch a, a show and I loved it. So there you go. Uh, Stranger Things have happened before. <laughs> All right, everyone. There you have it. Uh, the end of another episode of Beyond Horror podcast. Uh, Stranger Things. I don't know what else. I, there's nothing else I can really say about it. I absolutely love it. I'm pretty sure that was obvious. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, here we go. So the show is back. As I said, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying for one episode a month. I, you know, we'll see. I, like, I have some ideas. Uh, actually, the next episode, it'll be the first of what will be probably either a two or three part episode on 70s American Horror 1972. Finally getting back into it. There's about 30 movies, I think, total to talk about. Um, it may end up being three episodes. We'll see. Uh, but the first part, uh, next episode, number, what, what is that going to be? 27, episode 27, so 70s American Horror 1972 part one, and it'll be, uh, either films that are kind of gothic or atmospheric or witchcraft slash occult slash satanic cult slash demons possession. Like there were a lot of films like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh. There were a lot of films made in the early 70s, and, and I guess throughout the 70s, but particularly in the early 70s, as I've talked about in the previous installments of, of this ongoing saga. Um, that's a very popular uh, subgenre in the early 70s. And you actually see the other thing, the gothic atmospheric, which tended to be sort of more old-school films, where in 70 and 71 you still saw a lot of them. Um, there's only a, a, a handful uh, left by 72 and so you you kind of see that those are fading out it, it's very interesting it, you know as usual when you step back and macro everything to see that like how certain trends rise and fall and and as that happens new um trends rise as other ones fall and so maybe the gothic kind of more old school you know almost british like um horror films were dying out also in 1972, and I'm not going to talk about it in this particular episode, but uh, the Nature Strikes Back film, uh, 72, is one of, a big year for, for the subgenre. You had four or five releases, which, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was I think, 72 is really the first year where you get that many. Uh, and then, of course, as the 70s goes on, you, you get more every year, but... It's it's kind of kind of cool, and I I think that by the time I'm all said and done, and I do all of these seventy movies, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it does all play out. Um, so yeah, not so random watches for that episode. I'm gonna talk about Hellraiser again. Uh, once again, thank you, Arrow <laughs> Video, um, for being awesome and releasing really great stuff. But they had a, a Hellraiser box set that was actually released in the UK last year, well, this year they released it, well, I should say, it was released in 2015 in the UK, and then in 2016 released in the States, and I was able to pick up that box, it's got the first three films, 
plus um, a, a Clyde Barker documentary. So I'm going to talk about the box, the, th the, the presentation of the films. I'm not really going to go into a lot of the, you know, obviously the storyline of the movie, since I, I have a very extensive Hellraiser franchise retrospective episode that you can go back and back in the, uh, you know, in the archive there and listen to. So uh, more, it's going to be more about the set. I am also going to talk a little bit about Hellraiser 4 Bloodline because I feel it should have been in, in this box set, but I get maybe why they didn't. So that'll be the not-so-random watches. It'll be That'll be a, a fun one to do and go back and revisit. I haven't seen the, the early Hellraiser movies in years. It's been a few years, actually, so it'll be cool and all the great supplemental uh, material and whatnot. Um, you know, I'll go, I'll go into that stuff a little more detail. Um, and yeah, um, I think that'll be it. We might do a little catching up, uh, uh catching up segment, uh, you know, which is going to be instead of doing catching up with episodes, I'll do a segment it might not be every episode, but sometimes I think I might talk about a few, uh, 2016 releases, uh, you know, maybe just a handful, four or five or something like that. Uh, cause there are some non-horror films that I didn't really discuss that came out last year that. I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, just kind of briefly touching on. So you might get that as well. So there it is. That'll be episode 27. Uh, 28 will then be uh, the second part of the 1972. Um, I've, I, like I said, I do have probably the next three or four episodes pretty well figured out, outlined, uh, like all the movies that need to be watched. Um, and so we'll see, you know, especially as I'm uh, finishing off a lot of older projects uh, a lot of older things that are taking up a lot of my time right now because I put them off, uh, specifically a couple of my older films. Uh, as I as I get through that stuff, uh, I you know my hope will be that I will have a little more time for the podcast. And like I said, at the very least, I would like to get one episode out a month. So there you have it. Um, that's it for now. Thank you guys once again for listening, supporting the show. Um, it's yeah, it's been an honor to do this for as long as I have, and I'm gonna continue to do it. I'm not going anywhere, even if I am inconsistent as shit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it, guys. Thank you once again, and um, I'll be I'll be back again uh, much sooner than last time for sure. Uh, all right, bye. <laughs>
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.